Welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur, a podcast for business entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors who want to do more with technology, accelerate their business, and avoid the pitfalls of software development. Hello, and welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast dedicated to applying technology to real-world business problems. My name is Phil Telfer. I'm the co-founder of Clear Sky Logic, a tech agency based in Edinburgh. Today, my guest is Farouk Alassan, CEO of Senapt, a groundbreaking new web platform designed to disrupt the energy supply sector. Hi, Farouk. Very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Phil. Pleasure. Uh, thanks, for ha- thanks for coming on board. Uh, firstly, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be involved in the energy sector? Yeah, so my background is in software engineering. I originally trained as a uh, an electrical and electronics engineering degree at my university. Yeah, I moved to the UK back in 2006, um, started working as a software engineer, and then ended up working in finance and investment banking for most of the most of that time. And then back in 2016, my colleague, my co-founder, started talking about how the UK energy market is all changing, all the smart metering program and all the problems that people were having with it. But by then I was more interested in quantitative finance and financial investment banking, that kind of stuff. So I wasn't paying too too much attention. But then it was in the middle of the whole MIFID and um, Dot Frank, um, all that 2008 financial crisis. So banks were undergoing significant regulation about what they can do with the client's money. So there wasn't a lot of mathematical finance going on at the time. So I started listening to what he was, my friend was t- saying about smart metering. And I felt this may be a good place to go and do some mathematical something to make myself sound more intelligent than I actually am. So that's how I ended up there. Um, started thinking maybe I could use people's smart metering data, um, use their um, half-hourly data consumption to try and help people to save money on their energy consumption. Because in the UK right now, about 13% of the population are classed as being in energy poverty. If we use the smart metering data and help them to reduce their energy consumption, not only do we get energy efficiency, but we also solve in energy poverty. And that is very, very important for us. Also, as we move into a sustainable energy future, we have to make sure that sustainable energy doesn't preclude certain demographics, right? Because as the energy grid gets more complicated, if we do not use the right technology, then we will end up with even more expensive bills, which means that people will now become more selective. If I have money, then I buy sustainable energy. Otherwise, I go for the other one. We have to make sure that we use technology to bridge that gap and make sustainable energy accessible to everyone. So from my perspective, that is a very, very important social goal. And of course, we're building the platform completely from scratch so we can get to pick and choose all the latest, greatest technology that is out mm. there and use it to build it. That's a, a software engineer's wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that you, you've built skills in other sectors and applied them to energy. Do you think that was a help or a hindrance? Actually, that was one of the main decision points because it became pretty obvious that the energy sector, I used to say at the beginning of the project in some of my pitch decks, that the energy sector is the sector the whole 
the sector that the whole technology revolution forgot because it is still running one of the largest FTP deployments in the world where everybody's energy consumption and your registration data goes through some FTP process that takes, even officially, it's agreed that it takes 18 working days to just do that. In the rest of the world, in the financial technology world, that completely didn't happen. Back in my day at Goldman Sachs, we used to have trades that were booked from uh, market platforms and they will go through all the various um, books and settlement system, move money, client systems and move money in treasury um, and send the customers their reports all in an automated fashion. And then I came to another world and I realized they're still doing FTP and it's it's all very, very legacy. Oh, you can't touch that. That is a new technology. It's not used in this environment. And that has helped us a lot because we've had to rethink what people take as the standard in the energy market and think, is that actually a standard or is that just because that's how the market has traditionally operated and therefore people have accepted that as the norm? And by just doing that, we've removed a lot of the barriers that people are living with today. We're able to use technology to do things in new ways that you would not have imagined if you Mm. had stuck with the old ways. Yeah, there are obviously some sort of central issues with the industry as a whole. Are there particular shortcomings that you've seen with existing um, digital platforms in the supply sector that are, say, client-facing or back-office systems? Yeah, there is a lot of challenges. There is a lot of gaps. I think the biggest problem is that most of the platforms are more focused around operations and energy operations, and they're more centered around, as an energy provider, what do I need to do to sell energy? And what operations do I need to perform to to sell energy? Our premise is very different. We are saying, forget the operations. The energy provider's core responsibility or their value proposition to the end consumer is to service their energy need. And therefore, the only thing they need to worry about is, what do I need to do to service that customer's energy need? And once you have that defined, we can automate the operations and make it easier for you and your team to focus on the core job of speaking to the customer, finding out what their energy need is and how you service that. Um, Having people sitting around memorizing D flows and Z flows and all of these industry integrations, that only adds up into the customer's bill and therefore ends up making energy more expensive. Whereas the other way around, if we focus on what the customer truly wants, They want the lights to be on. To be honest, when the light is on, nobody notices it until it goes off, right? But they want the lights to be on and they want the energy to be cheaper. And if we focus on servicing that, as we move towards a more sustainable future, we're moving from energy being generated on one side of the grid to the other side of the grid. And you just selling the kilowatt hours and collecting money. That model doesn't work anymore. As an energy provider, You can't just sell kilowatt hours and collect your bills. You have to look at the customer's true energy needs. The customer has a solar panel on their roof. They've got a battery in their loft. They have their own energy generation going on in their house. And you need to look at that whole ecosystem and think about how best do I service this customer's energy need? And that's why we call our platform an energy as a service platform so that you're looking at the service point of it. Makes sense. Great. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot of things there that are becoming or will become more normal in future, which you're already considering. In terms of 
apps that are customer facing in, in this sector, they're traditionally not particularly heavily used. So people don't tend to wake up and want to check their energy app in the same way they would want to check their Facebook page. Are there things that you've seen which can actually push people towards something that is more engaging and that has more useful information for the customer and get them more engaged and making decisions around the energy they use and when they consume and that kind of thing? Yeah, you're right. There isn't a lot of apps and the apps that are there, most of them were built around what the supplier needed from the consumer more than what the consumer needed from the supplier. So the supplier needed your meter reading, so they built something for you to provide them that meter reading. They needed your money, so they built something for you to pay for your energy. They didn't look at, I want to become sustainable, so this is what the supplier can give you. So most apps there do not tell you what your energy consumption is on a half-hourly basis or what's your carbon footprint, what's your carbon intensity like. But don't forget, we started this whole project from that angle on what the consumer actually wanted. Mm. If I wanted to make the transition to a sustainable lifestyle, what were the things I needed? So I think there isn't a lot of good apps there right now that gives the customer the insight and the understanding that they need if they were to adopt a sustainable lifestyle. And that's where we come in with our MyWatts dashboard, which is a supplier agnostic dashboard that gives you as the end consumer access to your own data, irrespective of who your energy provider is. I think that is a very, very powerful one. Why? Because one, it means that as I change energy suppliers, I don't have to change dashboards and change passwords and and to get bought into one part platform just because they provide more functionality than the other. I have the same baseline. But secondly, with the way the smart metering is structured, as you change energy providers, your new provider doesn't have access to your old data. So without MyWatts, you'll be losing access to your own data as you change any providers. Now, we want a competitive market. We want people to change providers. We want people to be able to compete so that we can bring down the price and improve the cost of, of the quality of the service. So competitive markets are really important. And from that perspective, having MyWatts really facilitates that competition and gives their customer the control that they need if they adopt a sustainable lifestyle. Mm. I love the idea of having something which is constant through you know, potential changes of supply. The data that you take with you, it, it sounds like it's a no-brainer, really. That's how it really should work. As I understand it, you've managed to bootstrap your product up to this point using you know, your own private funding or friends and family or extended friends and family. I mean, first of all, congratulations on getting that far without any external Thank finance. You. What kind of tough decisions have you had to make in order to perhaps push forward certain features and hold other features back to get to um, the yeah, finance you've had available? It's a very, very challenging one because um, obviously with just family and friends and our own bootstrapping, you're very, very resource constrained. And I think um, everyone that we've shown our platform to does appreciate the level of complexity. And given the size of the team, it's always surprising that we've done this with this level of resource. Some of the biggest decision points have been the scope. Um, there is so much you can do right now. When we started it, it was purely so that we, we can't give the customer the tools and the platforms that they need for their sustainable lifestyle needs. But we've re we realized very early on that we don't want to be dependent on 
third-party systems because then we are at their mercy if they decide not to integrate with us, the customer loses out. So even though we were very resource-constrained, we decided to go full-on and build everything ourselves. That means that things, the project scope literally widened massively. That was a big hit for us because it delayed everything. The other challenges we had were we went live with our energy second customer and they went out of business. You know, the way the energy market works where the rocks times comes and you don't pay for your rocks and that's it, your license is pulled. So we went live two weeks, three weeks later, they went out of business. And then a month later, COVID hit. So we were hit with a double whammy because all of our financial projections were blown up. And at that point, it was more, should we discope certain things and just focus on the core proposition? But I've always believed that the customer's need needs to be at the front of it. And if we were to drive the cost savings that we want to push to the customer, the only way we can do it is if we control the stack. Because if I let any of the decision points go into a third-party component's hands, then that means that they can dictate how much the customer is paying. And the flip side of it is we also position this as a transactive energy platform, which means the energy provider doesn't pay for anything. They don't pay for the infrastructure. They don't pay for the software. They only pay us for the energy which they've sold through the platform and nothing else, which means that for us to be able to use that transactive model, we needed to have our own end-to-end energy supply system. So the biggest decisions have been around the scope of it and also keeping our objective in focus because we don't want to end up with a system that just looks like any other one that is in the market. But then we also don't want to lose the real objective of helping people to save money on their energy consumption. Mm. That is very, very important. We do not want people to end up having to choose whether they become sustainable or unsustainable purely because of cost. Therefore, we, we decided to go for the full package. Very expensive and very, very draining. I've grown a lot more gray hair than I I would, but it's it's a good journey and I'm absolutely enjoying it. It's worth it. You know, there's a long sales cycle in the energy sector. Organizations, they may move and they do move from platform to platform, but it happens rarely due to the risk and the complexity of the system and data migration. So how does a startup successfully navigate a market like this? It's a chicken and egg situation in that one because we can't say that they take too long and therefore it is not worth going into because then you you leave the market as it is and therefore nobody benefits. Some people have come into this market and benefited really well just by doing something similar to what we are doing, probably not to the same level or scope as we've done it. So we know that there is potential value there. The only problem is because the sales cycle is so long, you have to court the relationship for a very long time before it turns into something that you can do something about, which means they may get distracted or they may be influenced by some environmental or social factors like um, changes in the price and dynamics of the market and then they lose their interest. But we have a something back our back pockets that we can use to force them to the market once we launch our products. So we, we are hoping that um, we will use MyWatts as a, as a way to tell suppliers 
this is what you can do with our platform. Here is the proof point. Customers want the services from you. And therefore, if you want to service the same customers, you'd have to use MyWatts or at least support MyWatts in some way, form or shape. And is there, so, is there a cost with um, associated with MyWatts? No, it's a free platform. So everybody gets access to their data. Um, everything is, a, is an open-ended. We are doing a lot of integration work with lots of third parties to bring other devices into there so you can look at like your fridges consumption or your air source heat pumps consumption, all of that disaggregation. So mm-hmm. from the end consumer's perspective, it is it's brilliant. It's, it's helping them in exactly the way that we want it to help them. And then we can we hope that the value proposition to the end consumer will be strong enough for the suppliers to consider it. With the, um, the future of energy consumption being tied to technology, making intelligent use of data, battery storage, time of day tariffs, etc. How well positioned do you think Synapse is to, to make use of these things into the future? We are very well positioned because we built the whole platform completely from scratch. So right from day one, like I said, we decided to tightly integrate our pain. We made an assumption about the domain in which the platform operates, which is a, a typical thing you would do in a technology landscape. You could build a generic platform like Microsoft Dynamics or Salesforce or some CRM and use it in various sectors. Some suppliers use um, Salesforce for their software that kind of stuff. But we decided to build a CRM dedicated to the energy market. So we call it our our nativities, DCC native, cloud native, and energy native. So because of that, it means that we can make very good assumptions about the domain within which the platform operates. And by being able to make that, we don't have to create a super generic platform. It just has to be generic only to a certain level. But then we know what the business processes are like within that environment, so we can kind of automate the, those business processes to the right level that reduces the supplier's cost and their cost to serve. And then from the flip side of that, the customer's perspective makes sense. It makes it easier for them as well because the platform understands the domain and it serves them. So, for example, it send you a notification saying this is the best time to use green energy, those kind of environments. So reducing the scope and bringing it fully within the energy domain gives us lots of benefits, lots of advantages, mm. and it keeps the focus very sharp because we can then innovate within the domain mm. without having to worry about what else is happening somewhere else. I understand that the fo- one of the focuses certainly is, is putting the power into the hands of the customer, which I think is a really great thing to do. Um, you've got a real purpose behind the software. But I suppose from, you know, inevitably from the supplier's point of view, one of their main metrics is going to be cost to serve. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned that. Do you have an idea of what you think cost to serve should be or could potentially be for a, a UK energy supply customer? So there is, at the moment, I've seen platforms that are saying it takes one person to serve 3,000 customers and that kind of metrics. We don't, um, obviously, we have no scale to that level of customer volume, so we can't say emphatically. But what we know is that um, for the supplier who is using our platform right now, they are having an absolute walk in the park by doing absolute nothing, right? Basically, it takes them a minute to put a customer through registration, and that's it. 
everything else is automatic, sending emails, blah, blah, blah. So we could easily scale that to 10,000 customers and they won't even break, break a sweat. I'm hoping that when we do finally measure a metric, it will be like you could take 10,000 customers and you just need maybe one or two people to deal with it. I'm not saying that you should compromise the quality of the service through minimum number of customers. No, what I'm saying is you should improve the quality of service by letting people only focus on what they need to focus on, which is speaking to people. If you have two people that are servicing maybe 10 or 15 calls a day from customers, generally customers don't complain or don't call you if their bills are low. They only call you when the bills are high or they do not understand it. So if their communication is good, if they are kept in the loop, if they are seeing that you are on their side, helping them to navigate this energy transition, then they leave you alone. And when they call you, they're having a chit chat and you get the opportunity to improve their relationship from there. So, but um, to your metric, we're working towards maybe 10,000 customers per person uh, on supply. The actual cost savings that the platform brings are measurable. As in, for example, we have our own smart metering infrastructure all built into the platform. So you don't need to pay for any of those things. We have our own industry communications built into the platform. So you don't need to pay for any of those things. We have our own gas flows. You don't need to pay for any of those. So they all come out of the customer's bill. And we reckon we could save a customer around 400 pounds on their dual, dual fuel tariff just by removing all of those components and just charging on only the kilowatt hour that the energy consumer, um, energy supplier sells. Yeah, it'd be great to see some, you know, demonstration of those savings once you manage to sort of scale up and get some yeah. real big numbers going through. If you could go back in time to when you started Senat, is there any particular big pieces of advice you might give yourself now that you've learned along the way? I think the easiest, lowest one I would say is maybe I shouldn't have jumped in. So we, we went in full head on. I have absolutely enjoyed it. But now that I have seen all the risk, maybe I should have just stayed at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> no, but um, I'm, I don't have any regrets. I don't, I, I think um, it's an absolutely worthy course to go for. It is allowing us to achieve more personal purpose for what we're doing. It's not only about starting a business. There are people here who believe actually in this. Mm. All of us are very passionate about this. And a lot of us have worked without pay or normal usual salary for a long time. But it doesn't take anything away from us. We don't feel like we are demotivated for any reason. We're just going for it. I don't think anybody has regretted the decision to do it. Right. Right? Yeah. It's really important, I think, to have that team that are aligned and have the same beliefs, ambitions that you have. And it sounds like you've done that. Being from a tech background, was it difficult for you to help to build a team like that of, of people of different skills, for example, um, you know, sales or marketing and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's not easy because a lot of people are working with sweat equity. So they have to believe in what you're doing first before. And I think it's also important because 
the way I want the business to work and the way we all like it to work, it's a semi-structured environment, right? We don't have start time nine to five or anything like that. Um, if you need to go to do a school run, it's fine for you to say, sorry, I can't do a call at three o'clock. I'm doing a school run. What I believe in is we need to build a culture where you fit your work around your lifestyle instead of fitting your lifestyle around your work. So you have a purpose. And a lot of people do stay evenings and say, oh, I was away for about three or four hours. So I'm going to do a bit of work in the evening to cover the time. And that's okay. Or I'll wake up a bit early tomorrow, do some seven to nine, do the school run and continue later. And because we have that flexibility, actually it works a lot more in our favor. That's why we've done so much work in such a little time with a small team because people fit it around their lifestyle. Yeah, lockdowns really focus the mind around that, the need for that flexibility, hasn't it? Rather than saying it's going to be someone else doing all of the domestic tasks, it's um, it's all kind of on you or your partner or you know whatever you've got in your domestic setup. And you blend it into you, what you do as well. So it doesn't feel like you have to make a context switch to go into it and come back out of it and go through all that stress of the process. Mm-hmm. If you're tired, it's okay to go and sleep and then wake up, <laughs> come and continue. That's yeah. no problem. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Just one final question. If you could change one thing in the energy sector, what would it be? One thing that frustrates me in the energy sector is not the fact that people don't want to collaborate. It's the fact that people think it has to be done in a certain way all the time. That the biggest benefit that Senate has had is the fact that I came from outside the industry. And therefore, I had the freedom of thought to think about things in a different way. And that means we have things like paying for your energy bill with Bitcoin. Why not? It's just a payment facility. So we can abstract that and put it into a context and mirror a direct debit, those kind of things. So I think if I wanted to change something, I'll probably be more interested in changing the philosophy of the energy market in that it is done this way. This is how it's always done. because. That has frustrated me a lot. And it's also meant that certain people who could have helped us couldn't help us because they've always thought, well, I'm trying to tell you how it is done and you're saying that we don't need to do it this way and then we get into a bit of a friction. But I don't see why it has to be any particular way if if there isn't any way. The focus is always have to be on the consumer. What do they want? How do you service their true energy needs? Unless you're servicing that energy need, most of it is just operational, right? So I would want people to focus on the customer's energy need. How do we help them transition into a sustainable lifestyle without going to do a PhD in sustainability? You understand? Absolutely, yeah. No one could accuse you of not disrupting this market. It's great to hear. Okay, that's all for this episode. So thank you so much to Farouk Alassane for taking the time to talk to me. I hope you all found it useful and I can't wait to hear about the next uh, chapter of Senate. Thank so you very much. keep we've us got, informed. We've got um, lots of surprises coming up. Great. <laughs> please feel free to leave comments in whichever platform you find this podcast. Um, we'll be reviewing, recording rather, many more podcasts over the coming weeks and we'll be interviewing some exciting guests from the energy sector and the wider world of business and technology. So until next time, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Tech Entrepreneur, brought to you by ClearSky. 
the digital transformation agency for scale-ups and established business who believe you don't need to be held back by technology. Whether you need software to help your customers self-serve, a mobile app to manage customer engagement, or automation to make sure your staff are spending time on what matters most, ClearSky provides dedicated software development teams in the UK ready to take on your next project. Find out more at clearskylogic.com.